Imagine having the life of your dreams. Not temporary cash and glory, but happiness and inner peace. Explore new ways to be a creator and take your own journey into greatness. Is it possible? What does it take to make that happen? It takes the person known for extreme results. He's called the cage breaker and the ultimate catalyst. Coming back from the brink of death and now crushing it for himself and his clients, this is your Ultimate Life Podcast with Kellen Flukiger. Hello there and welcome to today's episode of Your Ultimate Life. This is the podcast dedicated to helping you create a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy that doesn't come randomly, but it comes because you create it with your life experience, your gifts, and your skills. And I'm grateful today to have a special guest, uh, Fadi Gonzake. Uh, Fadi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. You are delightfully welcome. And I don't do a big intro to guests. And the reason that I don't is because I want the coolness of your life and your learning to unfold as we kind of go through. So I avoid doing that. So the first question I'd like to ask you to tell us is, I just want you to tell us, how does Fadi add good to the world? Wow. Could that be a bigger question? <laughs> I, I, you know, let's just jump in. And so we're in the river already, the one behind me. So go ahead and talk. Tell me about how you do that. I have used all of the traumas and challenges of my own personal life, which has been zillions, just like the whole world. But instead of bringing me down, they come into a drugs and alcohol or sex or any um, not a very nice ha hobbies or habits. Instead of that, I just turned them around and I found my gift in my traumas. And I decided that it's a gift in everybody's regardless of the depth of their problems and agonies that they've gone through there is a big chunk of a diamond in it and instead of feeling sorry for yourself and having the imposter syndrome and um oh i'm not good enough oh nobody loves me and all of that is that i decided that our past traumas is a life lesson and it's not a life sentence so I want to help you to free yourself from being a prisoner of your past trauma and challenges, just like how I did with myself. So that's fabulous. And I, I love that you started with that. It's a life lesson, not a life sentence. I've seen that on some of your social posts and stuff. And you, you made reference to the fact that in your life, you have experienced a bunch of different traumas. And I know some of them, but I certainly don't know all of them. And I know, like you mentioned, everybody, it seems like sometimes life was built to be ultra challenging for each of us. Like it was custom designed to be as hard as we could stand individually. But anyway, <clears throat> deciding, deciding that there's a gift in everything instead of screaming at the sky, you mentioned that's a choice, but it's certainly not a natural choice because Naturally, I think based on, I don't know, uh, culture or past whatever, we might want to do some screaming. So talk a little bit about what made you, 
with a couple of examples. What made you decide, and this is again a choice, to look at a trauma as a gift instead of a pain? Great question. I lived a life of a misery, depression, <clears throat> hating God, becoming an atheist, then changing my mind, <clears throat> wanting to go down all of the above you can think of. Um, the more I was depressed and I suffered, the more I saw me going down. It was like, is me? And then there's this little fairy here. And then I'm looking, this little fairy is looking at this big fairy and it's going down, down, down. And this one says, but you don't have to. This is going down and this little fairy says, but you don't have to. But there are ways to deal with it. And this one is going down. And it was like, you know, when you go from in the plane and you do, you throw yourself up and you're flying free. It was like this big fairy was going down. And then this little fairy somehow caught her and said, listen, you don't have a choice but learning from these problems. Think about it. None of us, your life wasn't, my life isn't. None of us had a brilliant upbringing I don't believe anybody says my upbringing was so amazing and I've never, ever had any problem in my life. They're lying. Simply. But we've all learned from every agony that we went through in life. We all made a 360 degree turn. The drug addicts learns to stop. The alcoholic learns to stop. And then they become a better version of themselves. But they don't have to go down to become an addict to be there. And if they are, no problem. But dig into it and see where is the gift in it. If I found the gift through zillions amount of what I went through and people that one of them just sent me the um, testimonial and she went live to say that she was on the verge of committing suicide um, after her divorce and stuff like that. And <clears throat> clearing all of that for them, that no, look at the gift. You've got the gift and it's, but it's all, life is all about the choices we make. <clears throat> well, I love that. I want you to tell us some details. Mm -hmm. I love that testimonial. And someone at the verge of suicide, like Hank, you know, I mean, I'm a twice survivor, so I understand what it takes to get to the place where you look in the mirror and hate yourself so badly, you, you really believe that that's what you should do. <clears throat> and so you having helped someone in that fashion is both heartwarming and powerful. You've alluded several times to some real challenges that you struggled that made you, you know, become an atheist, hate God, hate your life, you know, and then, and then some things happen. So tell, tell us some stories about what are some of the things that have happened, and you can share whichever ones you want to. What are some of the things that have happened that made you, that maybe first ruined you and then refined you? Because sometimes those things happen and they ruin us first and then refine us. Thank you for saying that. That ruined me. It was, imagine a young girl leaving Iran, pursuing her happiness and freedom and going to the West and wants to become who she wants to become, not who her parents wanted to become. I leave Iran at the age of 21. Nothing is happening in Iran. I am young, ambitious, go and get her, go to England, Boom, after I go to England a couple of weeks later, the revolution starts in Iran. I'm clueless of everything. I have nothing to do with the government. 
and I was born in a Muslim family who never practiced until later my mother started practicing it. So it's, so there I, and then I come to England and everything turns around and suddenly we become this bad wolf. Like you are ugly, you're nasty because you're a Middle Eastern and you're a Muslim and all duels of blessing shuts down on us. And that's in 1978. And this goes on year after year after year. So bad that one day in the cold that I'm walking in rain of London, I'm walking to work. And all of a sudden I had the umbrella on my hand and I felt like something like a brick hit the umbrella. The umbrella falls and I see the skinheads are on top there and they threw a bucket of green color paint on me. The umbrella falls and it falls and the rest of it pours on my hair. My hair was three times more than this down to my elbow. My hair, my clothes, everything stopped to me. And now it's raining and they're all laughing. And they were just saying their, their, their accent was that, boy, go back home. You don't belong here. Imagine a 22, three-year-old girl with paint all over her. What is she wishing except her death in that moment? People are looking at her. She's dying. She's embarrassed. We go to, uh, I walk to the place that I was working with that. They all freak out. And we ended up shaving my hair to the skin. How will you be feeling love from God? How would you feeling that God is even there watching you? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I am trying to just keep the roof over my head at that time and working for such little money. And that happens to me. And I wanted to kill everybody. I am nothing but anger. I'm nothing but frustration. I go to grocery to shop. And I'm picking up my food and just putting it in a basket. And the, the guy next to me, and then he goes, are you one of those? And I said, which one? Are you one of those one that is uh, creating the mess in the Middle East and all over? Go back to your country. How, one after the other one, rejection after rejection after rejection. It's not going to make you come and say, I'm a Holy Mary and I'm just going to be. No, you're going to be mad, angry, frustrated. And you don't want to love anybody, not even yourself. But this mounts up what happens to that 23, four-year-old soul, except becoming re revengeful and angry. And everything that he was talking about, goodness of God. And I said, I'll throw all of that away. And then a few years later, I'm being diagnosed because it's so much pain in my body. I'm hurting that I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia in London because of all that pressure, that mounts up. We don't have enough time for me to go through all of it, but it accumulated on top of each other until I just couldn't take any more. And I thought, I am going to kill myself. I have to commit suicide. This is not a life. And I decided to commit suicide quite a few times in my life. You know, and was it pretty? <clears throat> Not at all. Did I feel great? I felt most hated that made me hate myself. So my remedy, my freedom from it all was that I was blessed to always love to work out. So I would be going for the longest run 
in the rain in the parks of London. I played tennis in the parks of London, squash and all of that. And through all of that, for me, it wasn't just playing to feel good. For me, later on, I realized, oh, that was my prayer time. That's what I was screaming. When I was hitting those balls so heavy, it was not only releasing the anger. I was just saying, show me the way. What is it? Why do I go through all of that? You know, and through my working out and becoming one with the source, which I didn't know it then, later stage when I look back, that it was, it was that you are more powerful than you know it. You can go through all of that. And my God, did I go through all of that? And did I come finally? I mean, it was just finally not, as I said, it's 30 minutes. It's a lot to talk about and explain. But going through all that agony, then later stage, um, coming from emigration, knocking on the door left and right, two, three o'clock in the morning, wanting to find me. Um, the English girl would report to um, emigration. She's living here illegal. She's working illegal. They want to find me. And I'm having to skip and run away from the back doors in here and there for them to not find me and to get me. So that's in England. You're in England still. And and then I came to America. Yeah, but you're in England. You're escaping the immigration people because they were looking for you and, and your visa had expired or whatever. And so you're, you don't certainly want to go back to Iran after all that stuff's going on. Okay. So I so to marry one of my co-workers who was a Pakistani guy. And then I was like 27, 26 years old. And the, the guy was 19 years old, but he was born and raised in England. So he saved me. And the good thing that he, because he was Muslim and then the immigration now is really at your door at three o'clock in the morning. So he had to raise, we never touched each other, but we acted as though we're living to. At that time I was living with then my boyfriend, which later on came my husband, but my boyfriend then came and took pictures of me with the Pakistani guy like Israel. They got married and they were ch chasing me to find me that are we married and they wanted to interview us. What are you doing at night and all that? And then the guy said, we're Muslims. We don't talk about things like this and all that. Finally, two years after that, I got finally my permission, uh, my citizenship in England. And then, you know, we got, of course, divorced. But the agony of being on the run all that time, you know, how long was it? Probably eight years out of 14 years living in London. I was running and I was hiding. So at what age did you finally, did that end? So if that was eight years, that was like 35 or something? No, no. I was, I went to London at 21. Oh, so maybe 30, uh, 29 or 30. Yeah. Probably 28, I think. Okay, cool. Twenty-seven. Because the minute I divorced him, then I got my my real husband. Uh, okay. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, what a story! So yeah. keep going. So then you, you got divorced. You finally got your citizenship. You went through this incredible hardship. You were able to keep sane by physical activity, running and exercise, and so forth, which mm -hmm. substituted both as the energy outlet and your prayer time, even though you didn't know it at the time. And and then how did you get to the U.S.? And then because of my marriage, I managed. Remember, no Iranian was allowed in England, in in America, in any form of fashion at that time. Then because right. 
I got married and I got my citizenship then. Then after a few years after that, then I was eligible to apply for British passport. And mm. I did. And then I got my passport. A few years, you had to wait on it. And I finally, when I had already divorced, then my real husband as well, I divorced him. Uh, I think it was at the age of 31. I divorced him. And it was a short-lived marriage. And um, that was a marriage for sure, for real. He got the British passport because of me. Um, and then we got divorced. And then at the age of 34, uh, I actually... I had opened my own shop in London Fashion Shop. And again, with so much animosity and a hatred in that neighborhood that I was, and the recession that took place, I think it was at 1990 or 1991, I had to go back bankrupt. And I just thought, okay, now I have my British passport and now I don't have a business. And I left England and I came to America. And that was um, in December, will be 32 years ago. And I came to America and I just did not know what to do. My brothers were living in America. So I joined my brothers here. And uh, especially with my eldest brother, it was a most tormenting thing to be for four or five months until I found um, my way of working under, under the table to get $7 an hour and do a front desk in this um, health club. And I didn't have any food to eat. It, somebody gave me a friend like a potato salad. I had no refrigerator after I'd moved out of my brother's house. And I put it behind the window to stay cold because it hasn't. And it had all the puff and all the um, worms and all that in it. And I was absolutely starving. Woke up at four o'clock to go in the morning. I said, I have no other choice. I have to eat it. And I ate that one with all the worms and everything in it because I just had to stay alive and go to work. You know, and that was like, my God, I, before I get to that uh, um, as a job, um, actually, no, I did get that as a job in there. I had that when I'm going back and I was just at that time and I said, you know what? I don't know how to else pray. I want to say I'm atheist, but I just can't help it that I want to say, God help me. And they said, God help me. And my hands up to the Lord is a true story. One night I was swimming on an out, outside swimming pool and the manager of the club that I was swimming in, it was a guy who had fallen, was a bodybuilder, fell off of the balcony and he prayed that if he stays alive, he would convert to Christianity and he did say, but he was all crooked and cockeyed and all of that. And he was talking to me, he goes, you work out so much. Why, why don't we do something about this? And all that I said, but I don't have any work permit. I'm applying. I don't know how to get my work permit. And by, by British passport at that time, you could stay in America three months, but you had to go and come back again. So three months, three months, I was fine and coming back to the country. And one night I was swimming like outdoor pool and it was exciting. Wow, outdoor pool? You don't get that in England. So I was so excited and I'm playing outdoor and I'm just playing. And under the water, I literally, just like you are hearing me now, I heard the water talking to me. And I just heard the water is just telling me what you do is your career. What is you what you're doing now should be your career. I freaked out. I got out of the pool. Nobody was in the pool except me. And I said, no. And then I saw the other side of the pool, the old man who was the, ma was the general manager of the pool there. I said, 
felt. I saw, oh, he's putting a chair to sit down. I got out. Remember, I was young and I had so much hair to my elbows. I ran and I ran toward him. He said, Joe. And I just got out of the pool to run. And I was running wet and slipped, fell back into the pool, got up and I went and said, somebody just talked to me and said to me, the water, the water talked to me, said, this is my job. I have to, and he sat back and said, oh my God. And he burst into tears and goes, this is a confirmation. I've been waiting for you to come in today. You haven't been here. And I said, what? Because I had a dream last night. The Lord came to my dream, pointing out to you, said that girl belongs to this gym. She, she, she needs to be working here. And that's what it is. That's your job. You've got to do that. And I, the two of us grabbed each other, hugged each other. We cried endlessly. And I said, where is it gone? I want to deny it. But by denying it, I'm denying me. I am denying my own presence. This is what I have to do. Fast forward in the job, in the shop, in the health club that I was doing $7 an hour. And I said, look, I've got to be a trainer. And he helped me and not. And he goes, I pay you only $20 more, but he was charging like $65 for me training people. So it, he would give me $20, but $20 at that time for me was like $2,000 today if you give me. <laughs> because I wanted to leave my brother and be in the one room that I had that it wasn't even studio, it was a single. And I said, but it's mine. I go in and I come out without my brother there, you know. And all of that, it was like one thing led to another, but the animosity in America, which was like really sad. Everybody said America is a place of all nationality. Everybody is an immigrant is such a big lie. It is the biggest lie. We were put in into hell here, being Iranian, being Middle Eastern. It's like I'm running the government of Iran, but all of that that I went through, the doors that it got shot down on my face, the classes that I went to teach, and people would leave because of my accent. And this other guy, when I said, I want to be a trainer, and then he goes, no, you're too dark. You have too thick of an accent. And um, your hair, no. In Los Angeles is a place of blondies and green and blue eyes. They're looking to be an actresses, and you would never get a chance. Forget it. Fast forward. My love for humanity for people i am a people person and all of that got me to become later stage not immediately many years after that really i mean it was the perseverance is that the more i got no the harder i work towards getting it until i finally it was 2004 or 5 that i finally started actually taking six figure home for years but from 1991 until 2004 was an absolute struggle a struggle to be or become a trainer because of the animosities because of the hatred so i want to i i know the story's not over but i want to take some of the pieces that you've talked about and and <clears throat> emphasize them so you've talked repeatedly about the level of animosity, and for you, that was the big struggle. For other people, it's other things. 
the thing that is remarkable over and over again is that you didn't quit. I mean, eating wormy potato salad, not giving up and killing yourself when you wanted to and could, uh, allowing the voice that spoke to you to matter. I mean, you could think that you were hallucinating, you know, allowing that to happen and persevering in the face of being told that your hair's the wrong color and your accent's too thick and everything else allowed you finally, after all those years, I mean, we're starting from 78 to 2002 so far, so that's some 25, 24 years. Finally, you're able to make enough money, uh, according to your description, to, to have a decent life and to start doing something. When did this move from your personal struggle, which you've now, in 2002, you've created something that's like good, Talk about how that changed from you occurring and Vic being victorious over your personal struggle to this huge desire you have to help others who are similarly struggling, whatever the struggle is, but with the same kind of shift. So bring me from to 2002 where you were overcoming your struggle to now this huge desire you have to serve and help others. Your questions are brilliant, I must say. <laughs> so it was 2004. I, I mentioned four. That. Okay, four. All right. It's very interesting. When I started getting busy at 2004 with all the clients that they were coming to me, and they started for some grace, for some unknown reason to this day, I don't know. These people that they were my clients that I'm working their muscles, do this, do that, do that five more, seven more, blah, blah. They started talking to me about their problems. And that's not very difficult to understand. Like when you go to the same hairdresser and you go every six, seven weeks and say, hey, how are the kids are doing? You see the same person, right? Right, right, right. Oh, wow. Yeah. But it's not six weeks apart. It's a day or two apart. And they see you regularly. And how are you doing today? I said, yeah, I'm like this and that and that. And they started telling me their issues and their problems. Now I'm seeing them two, three times a week, you know. And they started telling me. And whatever they said, their problems were nothing close to me. They were people that they had. They were affluent people that they could afford me because I was an expensive trainer at that time. And if... I am sharing them, my story, with, and they're listening to me to the, as, a, as an answer to their problems that they are saying. I never said, oh, you have to fix your problem this day and that way. I just said, yeah, when you say that subconsciously, I said, oh, it reminds me of when I went through whatever. Oh, yeah, you know what I did? It was this and that and that. And I said that. They are looking really, really? Oh, Oh, perhaps. Wow, that's a great idea. Well, maybe I should say that. Or one of them, I remember vividly, she said, maybe I should make the call right now. Come on, let's go do it right now. And I, have to <laughs> I swear. I believe you. My office, and it said my name on it, and it said Pilates in um, studio. And I took a picture of it the day that I was closing it. And they said, let's go to my office. And they would do that. And it's like they wanted to have that heartwarming um, of somebody else's presence. And like many times when we made these calls, they would grab my hand. They're holding my hand and they're talking to the phone, whatever it is that they want to say. And it strengthened them. Many years passed. It was like maybe 2007. I started training this lady 
who is a psychologist and um, to this day she's a psychologist and she's been my client. And um, many years later after that, she goes, do you know, this is a bummer. You are training Mrs. Psychologist. She pointed out to herself and she goes, you are coaching Mrs. Psychologist. And then I said, no, I'm training you. She goes, no, you're coaching me. I said, what is that? What's coaching? <laughs> I and then that's what it was. I started sharing my heartfelt, painful experiences with these people. And it became like a flashlight in their lives. And that's when I realized, wow, my agony and my problem, there's a gift in it that is brightening somebody else's life today. Every new that I got by some grace, as Byron Katie taught me say that, because don't say by, I don't know, by some grace, strengthened me and fed my soul to not take it as an answer and fight for life. And I did, even though a few times I was suicidal, few times, not more than once, you know, but. I do, and there's several things here again. So you had that series of things, you made a choice to fight for life. You made an interesting observation that even though people were training with you, you know, the size of their problems compared to what you'd been through were pretty small and they were able to put it in perspective when you just shared some life experience with them. What was really interesting is that your willingness to be there and support them while they held your hand or go into your office or whatever it was, gave them some courage to do something they wouldn't do otherwise. And that's one of the things I love about the whole coaching profession is helping people do stuff they wouldn't do otherwise or they don't believe they can do, you know, because they've got you in the in their corner, encouraging them, strengthening them, sharing the burden, the insights, and so forth. So you close the Pilates studio, and what, what are you doing now? Tell us what you're doing now and how to find you and all that good stuff. <clears throat> I didn't really close the studio. It wasn't just Pilates. It was everything. It was kickboxing because I'm a black belt in Taekwondo and everything. It was, but I, I had that as well, you know, mm -hmm. 2020 when the pandemic kicked in and I was dealing with every client outside, but it was also another time when I had the voice of God, 2019, then my boyfriend and today my precious husband, we were flying to London and I sat in a first class and said, oh, it's brilliant. And so I said, God, I'm tired of being a trainer. I know it's brilliant. I'm making so much money, but I am done being a trainer. I want to shift into the coaching, bring the way that I can close this and open the other door. And we go to London, we come back in January of 2020 and in March, boom, the pandemic kicks in and then get closed. And the door opens up and I said, my God, if this is not God talking to me, what else is? If this is not my spirit calling out for the next phase in my life, what else is? And that's how it was like from trainer being a and a coach slash coach, we just came to be that. And learning from all of that, the reason I am being called a relationship coach, and it's just... 
to have the relationship to yourself. Living with the past trauma and being a prisoner of that, it has always brought me these three questions. Okay, you're feeling sorry for yourself. You have that imposter syndrome. You're in agony. Perfect. Three questions. How far have you gotten being a prisoner of your past and your trauma? That's one question. The other one is, what has it cost you staying where you are? And the, the third question, how has it served you? Clearly it's not because you're still miserable. So, yeah, so you've gotten nowhere. It's wrecked a whole pile of stuff and it hasn't saved you at all. So then, of course, okay, good. Now what? Right? Now what? Now right. it's time <laughs> to learn the lesson, see the trauma as a life lesson, but not a life sentence. And now let's create a new version of you by letting the burden go, uncover the burden you've been carrying for so long. And it's not something that people can do it by themselves. I have no, it isn't. It isn't. I love that. And when you say letting all of it go, that's why I love the vision or the visual of a refinery. You know, when you say refined gold, like you burn off the dross, right? And so that's why these things ruin you and then they refine you when you burn off all the extra nonsense. Yeah, it's not nonsense, all the pain, yeah. The pain is actually, it's a gift, it's not a nonsense. It's a joy, thank God for everything that I went through. If you take me to the first day and if you say what you wanna start from the beginning, I said, not a day change. I will not change it for, a, for anything in this world. Because of who I am today, I respect me, I love me, I forgive me, and look what I can do in people's lives today for all that I went through. And these are all gifts. These are gifts that are priceless. I love that you said you wouldn't change anything. I certainly echo that, and I am so grateful that you chose to let those things refine you, burn off the dross, burn off the anger, burn off the hatred uh, toward God and toward yourself or others or situations or whatever, and choose to allow it to refine you so that your light shines so brightly. Tell people how they can find you right now. Like what are the best ways I, to get a hold of you, to follow you more or to learn more about what you do? I have my Facebook, Fiery Transformation, but uh, all, the best is always get through my uh, website, www.farytransformation, one word, no space, farytransformation.com. And is well, there is a um, freebie there. There are three little videos there that if they watch it all, then it will give them a complimentary coaching session with me. And um, yeah, farytransformation.com is the best of it. But always, you can always send me an email, fari at farytransformation.com as well. But you know how the algorithm is, if it's your first email, then it goes to the spam and rubbish and I won't see it. So um, my website is the best of it, farytransformation.com. I love the light that you are and the brightness that you bring, the hope you bring. The love you bring and the encouragement and the the reiteration, reaffirmation of the truth that every mess has a message, every struggle is a gift. It's true, it's true, it's true. And thank you 
for being here with us today to share your journey and your light. Blessings to you. Thanks for having me. I want to encourage all of you folks that are listening to this, listen a couple of times because there's, she didn't have time to tell you all the story, but there's an amazing set of stories and circumstances. And at the same time, you're thinking as you watch this, yeah, but you don't know my, no, I don't. And neither does she. But what we both know is that it was designed to refine you if you will let it. And as you do that and keep moving forward, get a hold of Fari. I kept saying Fadi at the beginning, rolling the R, but Fairy, I think. Fairy or Fari? Both of it is right. <laughs> Fadi, okay. Anyway, get a hold of her. Don't settle for mediocrity and move forward so you can create your ultimate life. Open your heart in this time around. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you take it deeply into your heart and decide for yourself how you can create anything you desire. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and topic suggestions. Until tomorrow, this is Your Ultimate Life with host Kellen Flukiger. Stand with your heart.